Welcome to E2 Talks. It's a podcast where we chat about the English language landscape, talking about topics relevant to students like you. In this podcast, Jay speaks to David Wiltshire from OET. They talk about each of the OET subtests and then give you lots of great information on how you can best prepare to ensure you get the scores you need. This talk is appropriate for people who are taking the OET soon and for those who are considering taking it. Enjoy. Hello everyone, my name is Jay. I'm one of the expert teachers here at E2 Language and today we have David Wiltshire. Is it Wiltshire or Wiltshire? It's Wiltshire. Wiltshire. Yes. There you go. And Dave, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, so I'm the education manager for OET. Uh, so I used to be a regular English teacher, and mm -hmm. then I started teaching OET um, about 15 years ago now. Right. And I was an OET teacher for a while in Melbourne, Australia, and mm -hmm. now I work for OET. Mm -hmm as the education manager and I've done that for about three years now and I help students with the test and I also help teachers teach people for the test. Okay, right. So you're sort of in charge of preparation materials, is that right? Yes, so we provide preparation materials. Mm -hmm. um, we have some on our website on the preparation portal. Yep. And also we run seminars and sessions for um, students and we run training sessions for teachers as well. Oh, fantastic. All right, so you're the person that we want to speak to because what we're doing in this podcast is we're going to talk about what is OET uh, so it'll be appropriate for people who have never taken the OET before or even those who have, but perhaps they didn't get the scores they want. So they need a bit of a refresher or to look at it a bit differently. And also we're going to talk about how to prepare for OET. So if it is the first time you're taking it, you can possibly pass the first time, which would be fabulous. Uh, so there should be lots of um, interesting bits of information for everybody. And we're going to go through all of the different subtests from writing right through to listening part C. How does that sound? Sounds great. Yeah? All right, cool. Let's start with writing. Uh, do you just want to give me a broad overview? So what happens in the OET test on test day when I get my writing paper? Okay, so um, for writing, you need to imagine a situation where you are working in your job mm -hmm. and you need to write a letter to another person, a healthcare person, about a patient. Mm -hmm. So if we look at a nurse, for example, you might be a nurse in a hospital or maybe in a clinic and there's a patient who you've been looking after or maybe some other people in the ward have been looking after. You have a lot of notes Mm -hmm. medical notes yep. that have been written by your colleagues and you, you need to use those notes to write a letter to another healthcare person. Okay. This could be someone within the same organisation as you or it could be another organisation. So, for example, you might have a patient who has had some type of accident, mm -hmm. has some physical injuries and they might be finished in your hospital but they need some rehabilitation. So you're writing a letter to the rehabilitation centre. Okay. Or maybe they're fine now, but they, you need to write a letter to their GP. Gotcha. All right. So the types of letters are 
as I understand correctly, referral. Mm-hmm. That's quite a common one in the OET test. Is that correct? Yes. So you have a referral letter. You can have a letter of transfer or mm-hmm. you can have a letter of advice. Um, I would say the procedure for those are the same. And, and discharge letter? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah and, and discharge letter as well. Yeah. So um, for all of these letters, though, I, I think that sometimes people get a little too concerned mm. with what a letter of transfer is or a letter of discharge mm. or anything like that. Personally, if I was teaching some students and I had a task, I wouldn't really worry about if it's a transfer letter or a letter of discharge or what have you. I think the procedure for taking the test is pretty much exactly the same all the time. Sure. Yeah. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but that introductory paragraph is going to be pretty critical to mm. mention whether you're transferring a patient or discharging or will be discharged, etc. So that, apart from that, structurally, there isn't really much of a difference between a discharge and a referral and a transfer. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. And look, for me, I, I think the difference is not really is it a letter of discharge or is it a letter of transfer? Uh-huh. It's who you're writing to yep. and why you're writing to them. Yeah. So I always tell people when they're taking the test to ask themselves who are you writing to mm-hmm. and what do they need to know? And that's what makes your decision. Um, so you have a particular purpose while you're writing to that person to communicate something. And that is what drives what you put in the introduction yes. and what you put in the next paragraphs. Good one. Yeah, that task is so critical. I tell our students here at E2 Language that the task is almost like the equivalent of an essay prompt. So if you're taking the IELTS test, for example, and you have to write an essay, it's critical to read that question prompt very carefully. It's the same in OET, but instead you're not reading a question prompt, you're reading a task. Who are you writing to? Why are you writing to them? And one thing that a lot of candidates forget is, does this recipient already know the patient or not, which can have a big uh, effect on case note selection, for example. Absolutely. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the use of templates for writing? I know a lot of students are very tempted or they really want some sort of set structure. Now, I'm adamant in our preparation that this is not the case. You shouldn't practice this because you need to be flexible. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So um, I'm going to, this is probably going to be the harshest and most direct thing I'll say during this. But if you are talking to someone about the test or you have a teacher who is teaching you about the writing test and they mention the word template, Uh uh-huh. And after that, they're not saying something negative about it, like don't use it. You need to find someone else to talk to. Yeah. Templates are not the way to do the writing test because if you follow a template, you are not doing what the task is supposed to do. Yeah. So if you imagine you're in a hospital and you need to refer a patient Mm -hmm. and or transfer a patient and you think about who you're writing to and why you're not going to try and find a template and work out how to follow that. What you're going to do is you are going to, you're going to think very carefully about what that person needs and write that information. One one thing I always like to do when I um, am teaching about OET, I always tell um, my students a story about a holiday, Mm -hmm. which I had. So um, I had a holiday to Goa. Mm-hmm. And um, this was one time after my um, 
Did you dance on the beach? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so did dancing on the beach, yeah. um, had some drinks, and um, I saw this church. I wanted to do something cultural, so I, sh- I, saw, oh, I yeah, went to a church. Portuguese influence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really lovely there. And then I also, um, I also met a girl there, mm. and she was very nice, mm-hmm. lovely girl. And I had a really, really great holiday. And then I had a situation where um, I needed to write an email um, just to let people know what was happening because this was like I sort of changed my mind and decided to um, have the holiday last minute. So I had different people I need to write to uh-huh. and I wanted to write to my parents. Uh-huh. Oh, I forgot to mention, I got into a bit of trouble while I was in Goa as well. Like okay. I had a bit too much to drink okay. and a little <laughs> bit of involvement with the law and nothing too serious, but you sure. know. And um, so then I had to write a letter and I wanted to write um, emails, I should say. So I write some emails to my parents yep. and um, also to my mates, uh-huh. my friends. Yeah. And then to my girlfriend <laughs> in Australia. I'm guessing this story isn't true, but I, I like it. <laughs> I can see why you You're use right. this I, as a teaching tool. Yeah. So in that sort of situation, I've got a lot of different information. Yes, yes. I've got information about the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got information about having some drinks and relaxing, yep. going to a church and meeting a girl. Right. And I've got different audiences I'm writing yes, to here. Yes, I imagine your parents wouldn't want to know about the incident with the law, for example. No, no, exactly. It's not relevant to them. Yeah, it's not relevant. And also I think my... I think my mates don't care about me going to a church. Right. I think they're going to think that's very boring. Yeah. They're probably going to want to know about the trouble I got into. Sure. Also, the way I write to these people, I mean, like, my friends, I don't swear all the time necessarily, Uh but I use some slang terms. I'm not going to use that to my parents. Yep, sure. And my, the letter to this girlfriend would be very heavily edited, <laughs> I would say. So, but, it's a great analogy. Yeah, because yeah. if you think about that situation, you're writing to someone for a particular purpose. Yeah. You've got information. Imagine I took notes. I wrote a little diary about everything I was doing while I was there. Mm-hmm. And you use that information to write a letter. Yeah. This is something we do all the time. Sure. We do this all the time. We... Um, Everyone from every different background, they might write letters or emails to mm. people and they adjust their language and the content and the structure according to who they're writing to. That's what you have to do in the writing test. The assessors will assess you on your ability to do that. So if you follow a template, you're not going to score well. It's funny because it's just under exam conditions that people freak out and think, I need to memorize something. And it's like, no, 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 don't. You need to just be as flexible as you typically would, as if you were writing an email to a friend. Mm. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. You need to learn the language and feel comfortable with the language skills you have. Go into the test with those language skills and use them to do the task. Actually, on that, I think it's probably a a good time to talk about how to prepare for uh, the writing test. And we've probably got a number of listeners out there who don't feel ready to take OET because maybe their fundamental skills like writing skills, perhaps their grammar, vocabulary are not quite uh, up to scratch. Hmm. What's your recommendation to them? Okay. So my recommendation is that you, you 
learn about the test, learn about the format of the test. Mm -hmm. I haven't told you the um, criteria, but you can find them online. But you want to know those things at the beginning to get an idea of what you want to do or what you need to do, I should say. But um, yep. after that, you need to focus on your language skills, your writing skills. Yep. Now, I'm going to imagine that most people who are approaching the test know a lot of the basics. They know the tenses. Sure. They yep. know passive and active voice. They know articles. They yep. know prepositions. Yep. I would say a very important step, though, with this is to... When you review the language, you should really think carefully about why this language is used mm -hmm. and um, the impact of using it. Mm. So um, because what you need to do is I told you not to write a template. Um, I also get questions like how many passive sentences should right. I use yep. and so forth. You need to make these decisions when you write freely and you need to think, um, you need to think of the um, the impact of different types of language. So mm. if you write a passive sentence yeah. rather than an active sentence, why do you do that? What's the impact? Yeah, yeah, good one. Um, same thing with verb tenses. It's not like you should just try to insert as many different verb tenses as possible. Verb tenses have particular meanings. Mm. And if you're talking about medication, for example, you know, Mr. Smith is taking paracetamol, was taking, will be taking, has taken... These all have distinctly different meanings. Yes. Yep. So, cool. Exactly. So you have the accuracy of the language, which, of course, with tenses. I'd also say impact with, for example, using a compound sentence or a complex sentence. Yeah. And so a lot of people approach OET after having taken another test. Mm. And for example, and I'm not being critical of this test at all because we're owned by the same company and I like the test a lot. But IELTS, for example, mm -hmm. there is certain bits of advice out there. For example, you need to use a complex sentence yeah. and you need to use that to show your level of language. Yeah. In the world of OET, an examiner is only going to look at a complex sentence and decide what's the impact of using that complex sentence. Yeah. Did you achieve anything additional rather than show off your language? Yeah. And if you did, they're going to give you a better score. So if you look at a complex sentence, for example, if you use a complex sentence, you're linking two things together, two clauses, right? Yeah. Using a complex sentence, you are saying that one of the clauses is less important than the other one. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to learn how to use a complex sentence, you need to remember you're telling the reader that one bit of information is less important than the other. Mm -hmm. So you need to take that step back with the language and not just think of how to accurately produce it, which of course is important as well, but the impact of using that language as well. That's right. I'll just give a practical example of that. A sentence would be, although Mr. Smith is taking paracetamol, his headaches have cleared up or something like that. So there's a subordinate clause there, one that's less important to the second one, which is that his headaches have, in fact, I wouldn't use the word cleared up because that's a bit informal, but you mm. know what I mean. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I think for us here at E2 Language, um, we get a lot of high level language learners come through, or they might even be native English speakers, or they've been speaking English their whole lives. And so for them, they just need to sort of learn the, you know, the, the, the basics of the writing subtest, a bit of a method, you know, case note selection, transformation, organization, mm. uh, stuff like that. And a little bit of feedback is very helpful for them, puts them on the right track. 
I think I mentioned this in another podcast, but we had a, I think she was a Danish doctor. Her English was perfect, and yet she just wasn't uh, achieving the task properly. And so she had to take the test again and again until she got some feedback and, oh, that's what you have to do, and then she was fine. We have other students, though, who lack those fundamental skills. And what we try to do here, actually, we've just launched a new website called E2School, which is actually for general English language learning and to help these people build up their vocabulary. It has a course on grammar. It has a course on pronunciation for speaking, which we'll talk about next, um, and also general English language skills. And it's very inexpensive. And the idea or the reason why we built that is we saw a lot of people trying to take these tests and not achieving the results they wanted simply because they didn't have the fundamental skills. So now we're going to push them across into E2 school for, say, six months or three months or whatever. Then they can come back and do the test prep again and hopefully uh, get the results they want. So. I, I, and I, I just want to say I think it's great yeah. that E2 is doing this, something like E2 school. Um, so when you're approaching any test in OET, I know that practice tests can have some good usage. But yeah. a very simple way of looking at this is to pass any test, a test like OET, you need two things. You need test skills, mm -hmm. which means you need to know the format of the test. You need to know tips and how to approach it yep. um, efficiently, but then you need the skills as well. It's ultimately an English test. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And depending on where your language level is, um, if you need work on your language level, ideally maybe only 20, 30% of your preparation time will be used with practice tests. I, th I think about the difference between a maths test because people approach maths tests very differently. Like they can't, if it's an English test, they try to sort of think about tips and tricks and, you know, get some bad advice from a friend. If, if you're taking a maths test, you either can do the mathematical equation or you can't. It's the same with an English test. Mm. You can structure up a sentence or you can't, <laughs> or you can to a degree. I guess the difference is you can to a degree with mm. English, but you need to approach it like a maths test. You know, the, you approach it like, do you know the equation or not? Mm. Yeah. I, I agree completely. I, I And I think the maths test one's a really good comparison, actually. Um, I often like to tell students, because one of the advantages of OET is it's testing your use of language in your work context. Mm -hmm. So most of these people listening, even if you're new to OET, you're probably not new to healthcare. You've right. been working in your profession before. If you're at this early stage of preparation, I want you, uh, the next day you're at work, I want you to remember the types of um, language you're using, whether it be in English or your native language. And I want you to decide at what point you're choosing a set formula or memorized phrase mm. in order to complete that language need. Mm. And I think you're gonna find that you're not doing that. Yep. You're, you're, actually, you're actually thinking about communication first mm -hmm. and that's where you're making your decision with, mm. with writing and for speaking. OET is designed to make sure that you can use language well in your healthcare situation. So it is testing that you can actually use language in that way. It, I mean, it, it's great because if you are a healthcare professional, you should take the OET because the vocabulary is going to be familiar to you. That's the, really, that's the biggest thing. If you're going to take another test, you might have to write an essay on space travel or something like that. That's going to be tough. Mm. But if you're a doctor and you're writing a, a letter to a referral letter about arthritis, then 
great. Mm. You know, you'll be familiar with the vocabulary. Mm. That's, the, that's the biggest thing I see. Exactly. While, while we're on the test in general, mm -hmm. um, one overall comment I often make about OET. Um, so if I compare it to a general English test, I think a general English test is testing how much English you have, how much vocabulary, how many sentence types, um, how much pronunciation you have, how much English. Mm -hmm. It's measuring how much English right. you have. Yep. I don't think OET tests how much English you have. Mm -hmm. I think OET tests your ability to use English in different healthcare situations. Mm. So you always need to look at the situation, imagine yourself in that spot, in that situation, and then use the language which is right for that situation. Great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll see with the other subtests which we'll talk about how uh, they come from a medical context. Hmm. Okay, so we've talked about writing. Let's talk about speaking. Hmm. Okay, so let's just do a brief overview of the speaking. So what happens on test day in the speaking subtest? All right, so um, speaking subtest. So I'm going to I'm going to start with another um, analogy. Another analogy? Oh, I like this. This yeah, is yeah. great. Okay, so I want you to I want you to imagine. So I'm talking to the people listening. So imagine you're in your home country, and you something happens to you, and unfortunately you become a patient in a hospital. And let's imagine you can't speak any English. Right, so I'm I'm going to use India as an example. So let's imagine you're um, you speak Hindi, you can't speak any English, and you're in a hospital and you're waiting for the nurse, and your nurse happens to be me. I'm the nurse. Mm -hmm. Now I come in, and those of you who haven't seen me before, I do look like an Australian male, so you know that I'm not local. And when I start talking, you know that I'm not speaking my first language. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so you're speaking Hindi in this? I am. I'm okay. speaking Hindi. I'm speaking Hindi to you yep. as the patient. So let's imagine two different types of Nurse David. The first version of Nurse David is trying very, very hard to not make any mistakes and speak very perfectly with very clean, perfect pronunciation, but being very limited in the range of language and very cold as well. You're not really feeling very comforted. Okay, so you're focusing too much on your language, are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm focusing much too much on my language. I'm a bit nervous and mm -hmm. I'm just trying to make sure my English is perfect. Mm. That's Nurse David number one. Nurse David number two, maybe I make a couple of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Maybe one or two times you don't understand what I say, you ask mm. me to repeat, or maybe in your head you're thinking, okay, what did Nurse David say then? Was it this or this? Okay, it's this. But at the end, the communication's okay. Yeah. I'm making mistakes though, mm. um, but I'm speaking with a lot more warmth. Mm. I'm trying to understand your needs. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you a chance to speak and I'm putting my heart into it. Mm and you feel more comforted. So if you imagine those two versions of Nurse David, which one would you prefer as a patient? Mm. Nurse David number one or Nurse David number two? Number two. Yeah. Now the examiners are trained to reward nurse number twos. Right. Not nurse number ones. So the distinction I see there is nurse number one was focused on the self, himself, mm. and nurse number two was focused on the, pa on the other person, on the patient. 
Yes. Is that, is that a good way to look at it? That was definitely right. So um, what we call students, sorry, not student, uh, patient-centred questioning, mm-hmm. focusing on the patient, listening to the patient, mm. absolutely. Also, I think in that situation, nurse number two was not really looking at English. Uh, the, they're not, not you looking at language as like trying to choose some well-rehearsed mm. exact sentences yep. and focusing more on English as communication. Sure. Com- um, and the communication force, not focusing on it as like trying to use some prepared sentences and and so forth. Gotcha. So I think that for speaking, um, accuracy is important, grammar is important, pronunciation is important, but it's also the way you use it and the way that you adjust to the patient. I think a lot of people focus their speaking test in too much of a rigid fashion mm. and they try too hard to be perfect with their language yep. and that can result in a kind of tensing up and not not focusing on communication. I, I, I agree. It's Firstly, I think it's the speaking test is just as much a listening test because you have to be attentive to the person you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about that is the more that you're focusing on the other, not on yourself, the less nervous you'll be. Yeah, yeah? exactly. You're not, you're not thinking, oh, my heart's beating very fast and oh, what am I going to say? I'm actually thinking, okay, what is he saying? What is he saying? Uh, I'm going outside of myself into some, you know, listening to somebody else and it, it helps my anxiety. People mm. get nervous before these tests. I've taken the IELTS test and, you know, even I, as a native English speaker with no real, uh, you know, have, had no real reason to take the test, still felt anxiety. So much easier when I listen to the other person. Yeah, I agree. And I, I often ask students, um, what would they prefer? Would they prefer to take a speaking test or talk to a patient? And they all say they prefer to talk to a patient. And what I'm pretty much telling you here is to imagine you're talking to a patient. Imagine it's a real-life healthcare situation. Once again, putting yourself in that healthcare context. I often tell students that um, every OET role play, the patient has a medical need and an emotional need. Nice. And you need to make sure that you meet both. Great way to look at it. In particular, the emotional need. Nice. And the way that they're scored, I don't want to get into the criteria, but the way that they're scored is based on real healthcare speaking contexts. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, actually, they actually created the scoring assessments from real life scenarios. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was a two year process right. to um, three years, actually. Um, so the criteria were changed um, about a year ago. Yeah. Um, so make sure you're using up to date preparation content, which I know E2 has. But when they went through that process, they um, looked at a lot of clinical communication criteria, which is basically soft skills, Mm -hmm. as a lot of people call them. And um, yeah, those soft skills were based on a lot of research um, as to what patients want. Gotcha. Let's go back and talk about what actually happens in the speaking test. So Mm. as I understand it, there's two role plays, five minutes each, two to three minutes to prepare for each role player. Now, just tell me, are they going to get similar scenarios or different scenarios? I mean, you're talking to the an OET interlocutor, an OET person. Hmm. They're going to play the role of two different types of patients, aren't they? This is correct, right. yes. So you have two different situations. Two different situations. And um, with two different patients, 
who have different medical and emotional needs. So you go into the room, you have all the warm-up and introduction, they give you the first role play, two to three minutes to prepare, five minutes to speak, then they give you the second role play, two to three minutes to prepare, five minutes to speak. Yep, and you get a role play card that you can hold on to while you're doing the role play, which sort of guides you. Yes, yes, this is correct. They give you a role play card. Now, if you have a look at our materials on our website, you'll see that there's two cards. There's a card for the candidate taking Uh the test, and there's also a card for the patient. Mm -hmm. Um, If if you look in books and everything as well, they'll give you both cards, but you should know that on test day, they won't give you the patient card. Of course, yeah. Yes. But they're linked, aren't they? If you look... If you look closely at the, fir- the what's critical about these role play cards is the f- is the the tasks, uh, and the 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 first word is usually a verb, which will say something like explain or reassure, for example, words like this. And on the patient's role play card, they'll have the opposite, which will be to um, ask for, and then you have to explain, for example. So they're linked. So there's a, a bit of a story between the two people. Mm. No, you're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I often tell people um, when they're looking at the role play card, um, you should focus very heavily on the verbs, mm. particularly those first verbs yes. at the beginning of the task dot points the you're imperatives, mentioning. Imperatives, I believe they're called. Yes. Imperatives. Yes. Not that you need to know that. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So focus on those special verbs, the imperative verbs. Yeah. And also, so that's in the task dot points, but they also have some background information. In the background information, we tell people to focus on the adjectives because oh, nice. the adjectives tell you the patient's mood. Mm. Mm. Anxious, mm. concerned, agitated. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's the emotional quality of the role play that you have to be aware of. Yes. Good one. Exactly. So one reason why we have two role plays rather than one 10-minute role play is because they're wanting to test that you can be flexible with your language for different types of patients, different types of situations. Yeah. If you think about what happens in the workplace, I don't think you talk to every patient the same way, Mm -hmm. regardless of their mood, the severity of the situation. Age. Um, their age, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all of these different factors will change how you speak to people and OET wants to test that you can do that. Just one quick question. I mean, I know the answer to this, but is the OET person you're speaking to the one who does the assessing? No, they're not. Um, so they have a recorder mm-hmm. and um, they that records the, um, the role play. And then that gets sent back to OET um, headquarters and it's marked by an assessor. That's good. That's reassuring, you know, because you're not thinking, oh, this person is assessing me as I'm speaking to them. They're just, they're just there to perform. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Okay, just quickly, how best can somebody prepare for a role play, an mm. interaction? It's not one-way communication. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's a good. It's a good question. So, um, as you mentioned, it's a mo- it's a um, dialogue, no monologue. So communication skills are important. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do think that the criteria is really helpful for this. Mm. Um, you've got the one set of criteria, which is things like you know, pronunciation, grammar, and so forth. The other one is the um, clinical communication criteria. Mm-hmm. Having a look through that, you'll see lots of the different skills required. Um, for example, using open um, and closed questions, 
um, giving, trying to clarify things with patients which are vague. I think looking at those and focusing on particular types of communication skills is the best way to practice a good starting a good starting point. So, for example, how to persuade someone, how to reassure someone, mm. um, how to clarify something. Focus on those different types of skills. Um, I see some people sometimes trying to focus on different medical conditions. So, for example, they might think, oh, I need to make sure... I practice talking to a patient who has breast cancer, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the types of language skills you use regardless is um, going to be... So you use the same language skills regardless of the medical condition. It's not a test of your medical knowledge, is exactly. it? Exactly. And even if there was a medical condition that you're familiar with, the way you might talk to them be different once again. So if I look at appendicitis, for example... Mm-hmm. And let's imagine two different types of patients with appendicitis. The first patient with appendicitis um, is coming up to you and is like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. Um, I need to see the doctor straight away. Um, I'm going to die in the next hour. Like, quick, get someone. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That's patient number one. Patient number two has been told to stay in the hospital and wait for someone to check them. And the patient's saying, ah, it's fine. It's just a stomach ache. I've got to go to work. Mm. It's a it's a Monday morning. I tell you what, I'll come back on Friday if it's still worse. Mm. Those two types of patients, the way that you would explain to them what um, appendicitis is, yeah, or the types of advice you give that patient, or the tone of voice you use, would be entirely different. Yeah. So we need to focus very heavily on the mood of the patient. Good one. And like the writing, these criteria which you're assessed against came from real-life healthcare settings from the ground up, which is great because what this also is is great professional development because if you are moving to um, a a country where you're going to be speaking English in the hospital, there's also going to be cultural differences potentially. Um, So this this will prepare you well. Yes, absolutely. Um, There has been um, some studies that we're doing that have shown that um, people who who have passed OET, Mm -hmm. uh, it can suggest that they've got those abilities as well. Um, Because if they pass a test like OET, they've shown that they can speak to patients. They also understand culturally the types of language requirements required in in Western environments. So, yeah. Interesting. Cool. All right, let's move on and talk about reading uh, and everybody's favourite. If you have done the OET, this one scares people, but it's it's a it's a good test and it is doable. It is reading part A. And why does it scare them? Do you think, Dave? Um, I think because they're put under time pressure. Yes, I, I think, think so. Um, so really, with reading and listening, um, all of them, what they did with their research is they tried to find the three most common types of reading and listening in mm. different situations and then separate the test into those. Okay. So when I want to talk about each part of the reading test and each yep. part of the listening test, I'm always going to look at the context first. Yeah. So let's imagine a situation where um, let's imagine a situation where you um, are treating a patient. The patient has a type of medical condition. And you've got the patient in front of you 
and you need to consult different short texts mm-hmm. in order to treat that patient. What type of texts? Um, well, this could be a dosage chart. Mm-hmm. It could be um, some types of um, FAQs. Mm-hmm. Not FAQs for the patient, FAQs for yourself. It could be ways to find out the type of treatment that's needed. Mm-hmm. So depending on the severity, yep. um, things that you would look at mm-hmm. when treating yep. um, when treating a patient. If a patient has um, severe sunburn, you're not going. It's not going to be things like what is sunburn, sure, or what what have you. It's gonna it's gonna be more things that will give you the extra bits of information that you need. Mm-hmm. So in those situations, and I'm sure everyone who's listening has encountered this before. I'm sure they've all had to read documents rather quickly mm. um, when treating a patient in hospitals or clinics. It happens all the time. If you think about it, how how do you read that? Do you read from start to finish? Do you kind of scan over it quickly, mm. trying to find the bits of information you need? Mm-hmm. And also, what kind of information are you trying to get? Mm-hmm. Generally, you're trying to get um, facts, figures, bits of information. Yes. So reading part A is about trying to get those bits of information. Mm-hmm. I think that this is something people do in everyday life. Yeah. But I think when they're asked to do it in a test situation, I think it can be a little bit intimidating. Good one. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it just requires a bit of practice, to be honest. When you first do a reading part A, you sort of think, whoa, what's going on here? How does this work? The questions and the texts and you're sort of going back and forth. But after a, after a bit of practice with some good materials, it, it makes sense. And you're right, it, it's a different type of reading. It's sort of speed reading, scan reading, looking for certain, as you say, bits of information, not reading slowly, not reading uh, deeply. Mm. That's, that's different. That's coming up next. Mm. I, I think as well with reading part A, I think the way it's designed is really helpful. So you might hear some information out there about, for example, reading, trying to do the later questions first. Yeah, I disagree with that completely. Yeah. That's a silly, silly thing to... (laughs) It's funny how these ideas spread. Mm. Well, the way that this test was designed, uh, reading part A, was to help you. So the first questions are more about trying to work out what kinds of information would be needed in each text. Yes. And it helps you. Yeah. It helps you, right? So if you hear any strategy or advice about not starting at question one... Um, find a smarter person. (laughs) A different teacher, yes. Yes, yes. I agree. Um, Okay, so I get this question a bit, how best to prepare for, let's say, reading part A, reading in general. Let's talk about reading part A. I mean, it is good to just do a bit of skimming and scanning, but as you say, people do it anyway. Hmm. Um, I think this is really the only part of the test where you really, having authentic or close to authentic practice materials is really quite a good thing. Like reading part A is, it's different than reading part C and B where mm. you can probably practice just by reading other uh, articles and documents. So I really think this one requires actual test practice. I would agree. I, I, I think so. I did mention before that um, that test skills are important. Um, it's definitely part of it. And mm. the actual process of looking through four texts in a test environment. In 15 minutes. Exactly. In 15 minutes to answer a series of different types of questions. questions. Exactly. <laughs> yes. 
So that can be, I can understand a bit of intimidation there. I guess if you look at it very simplistically, it can be seen as a bit of a speed reading test. Um, Accuracy is very important as well though. And I think using practice tests can be useful. Now, I don't want to be mean and say bad things about other people and so forth, but there is a lot of extremely poor quality um, materials out there. Mm, yes. So I'll make a confession here. So when um, when I was an OET teacher um, quite a while ago, and the we had something similar to Reading Part A that came out, and we the teachers us teachers we found it very quickly, and we used to have to try and make tests, and we would make them in one hour. Right. Before the class. Yeah. And these quest, these tests that we made were bad, very bad. They didn't follow the right kind of criteria and they just were poorly written. I have seen tests which I've made in one hour online, oh, Google Drives, no. things like this. And as I was making this, no. like this is when I was a very young teacher and just starting out and they're bad, right? Yep. So... If you look at um, at premium providers um, and providers that know what they're doing, they can make good tests. Um, But reading part A in particular, I see lots of poorly written reading part A's, which are damaging. Good one. I agree. Because if if you're using poor quality materials and you're trusting them and believing them and they're giving you the wrong instructions if the way that they're constructed is incorrect, as in they're using too many words or not a f- too few words, for example, on test day, it, that could be the difference between passing and failing. Hmm. So I couldn't agree more. I think those Dropbox files and Google Drive folders full of, you know, these dozens and dozens of free practice tests out there are potentially damaging. If yeah. I, would say, I would say they're damaging, actually. Yeah, they are. Hmm. Okay, let's... Talk about reading part B. So I like reading part B. It's 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 they're, they're they're tricky. They look simple. It's a much simpler test than reading part A in the way that it's set out. It's a multiple choice test with three answer options. Dead simple in terms of its structure, but by no means is it easy, is it? It's it's a real challenge. And and what's it's asking you to read for something. Is that correct? Typically, yeah. So it's often trying to. Usually the most common ones are reading for the main idea right? or um, reading for detail. Yeah, and the texts are quite short, aren't they? They are. So um, the kinds of texts that you get in reading part B are texts that you would get in the workplace. Yep. So, for example, um, so next time that you are, next time that you're at your place of work, hospital, clinic or whatever, I want you to pay attention to the types of short texts you see and the way in which you read them in real life. For example, um, if you go past a um, message board, mm-hmm. notice board, and the way that you'd read that. So I doubt people stop in front of a um, staff notice board and they spend an hour reading every single word, every single note on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they read that in a different way. Um, for example, emails, mm-hmm. when people get emails, yep. how do they read them? They don't always read every email from start to finish. Not every email is really relevant to them. Some of the emails might be junk. Um, 
Also, things like um, manuals, user manuals, mm -hmm. how to operate a piece of equipment, yeah. or um, maybe your um, your nursing or doctor handbook, for example. Mm. These are all different types of texts that mm -hmm. you may use, and in real life, you read them in different ways. Yes, but there certainly is enough time in reading Part B to read them deeply, isn't there? There is, there is. Um, there, there would definitely be enough to read them deeply, but often if you read them deeply trying to understand every word, uh -huh. that can actually... Reading deeply doesn't necessarily help you answer the question. Good one. So if, for example, you need to get the main idea, it's not about reading deeply and focusing on everything. It's trying to focus on what's the most important part, mm. right? Uh, what's the purpose? Mm -hmm. So you're right. You do have time. So when I, when I was giving those examples before, it's not like you're running around the hospital quickly reading a notice board, quickly reading an email. It's not just a matter of being quick. It's about being efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the thing about OET that helps you and with reading and listening in particular, I want you to trust the test. The mm -hmm. test has been, has been designed to test, can you read four short texts if you've got a patient in front of you? Can you read notice boards and um, guidebooks? Memos. And and memos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's designed that way. If someone wrote a test question in the real test on an email mm. and the question required you to read it in a way that you would not read an email in real life, mm. that question would get rejected. Yeah, It's testing your ability to do these things. So I know it can be a bit intimidating for reading part B because people think, oh, they've got different texts written by different people um, and it's random or what mm. have you. All you need to do is look at the text, work out what kind of text it is, mm. how would you read that in real life, yep. read it in real life that way and answer the question. Yep. And that question prompt is absolutely critical because it tells you what to read for. What is the purpose of this mm. text or what is the main idea of this text or what does this mean in the text? Mm. So, yeah, if you keep that in mind while you're reading, mm. one of those answer options will pop out. Yep, exactly right. So that that's, that's exactly right. Um, also, a lot of these types of reading you've done before. Mm -hmm. If you've worked in, if you've ever picked up a um, guidebook, if you've ever picked up a, um, seen a, a notice board, received a work email, things like that, yeah. you can access this type of reading. Yeah, good one. Mm. Good. All right, reading part C. Can you describe reading part C? How, do, how does this differ from reading part A and B? Okay, so I guess... Um, I probably didn't mention it before, but the way that the test is structured is um, you're in your chair, you get reading part A, right. and you get that 15 minutes to do it, and you answer just reading part A. They then take reading part A away, right. then they give you reading part B and C together. Comes together, right. Yeah, yeah. So um, reading part C, you have two longer texts mm. with a series of questions. Now, these types of these types of texts are with people writing about opinions. They've mm -hmm. got opinions, attitude, points of view. Mm. Now, this is one thing where maybe you don't read these things in the workplace, mm. but maybe you might read them at home to keep up to date with current events and so forth. Um, and you're really reading things where people are expressing points of view. Reading between the lines. In yeah, a way. yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. Right? What is it? What does he mean? Or what is? What, how does he feel about this? Or mm. how does he feel about that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, once again, people read these things all the time. So sometimes people think that they don't really read that kind of stuff, um, medical ones. But if they, if that's the case, I'm sure they read other things. So, for example, anyone who's a sports fan might watch a sporting event and then they'll read afterwards some opinion pieces mm-hmm. and say, for example, cricket. Um, and I know there's been lots of big cricket things recently um, and the national team might not perform very well and then you might read an article and maybe the person who's written the article is not saying this team is bad and I think this, I think this. They might be reporting in a way where you need to read between the lines to understand it. Mm-hmm. And people are able to do that, yep. you and I, everyone. Or maybe um, movie reviews. Yeah. Yeah, so when you read movie reviews, um, you might just look at the star rating, but if you kind of look outside of that, mm. you're reading things with people with opinions all the time. Yeah. And often opinions are not clearly stated. Mm-hmm. Often it's reading between the lines. Yeah, okay. That's that's what reading part C is. There's some other interesting questions in reading part C too, like the reference question. Uh, for example, you might you've, 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 it focuses on... It, paragraph and it'll point you to that paragraph. That's, I like that about reading part C. It'll say in the third paragraph, blah, 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 blah. For the reference question, it might say in the third paragraph, what does this refer to? The pronoun this. And so that's an interesting sort of, it's a definitely a reading skill, like it, but it's more of a, it's a reading skill based on, well, I wouldn't even say grammar. It's, it really is that referent. What is the meaning referring to this or what is this referring to? So there are different types of questions in reading part C as well. You'll also get some main idea ones as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yeah, those opinion ones are, are quite interesting. Mm. With the reference ones, so yet you have the ones with like pronouns like this, mm. um, it, mm. um, which are very good ones. And often you need to be reading around the paragraph uh-huh, yep, and yep. early in the paragraph yes. to get it. A meaning. You have to understand the meaning of the whole thing. Exactly. You can't exactly. really guess it. It's... Or it's not just going to be a simple thing like the word that came before it, the noun that came before. Maybe it'll be the noun phrase that came before that. Mm. So it mm. depends. Mm. It's all about meaning. Exactly. And also some of them have particular words. What does this word mean? Uh, now, yes. some people are intimidated by those because it might be asking for the meaning of a word which they don't know. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's important is these questions are not, the answers are not dictionary definitions. Mm. Um, if you showed an English teacher um, that question without the text, yeah. they would look at the question and the different answer options and they would think all of them could be correct. Mm. So um, if you know the meaning of the word, doesn't mean you're always going to get it right because you need to know the meaning of the word in the paragraph. Yeah. But also if you don't know the meaning of the word, you've got just as much chance to get it right as someone yeah. who knows gotcha. the word really well. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep, because you'll get it from the context. You'll exactly. be able to guess from context. Mm. Cool. All right. That finishes up reading. So there are three subtests for reading. There are also three subtests for listening. So what happens in listening part A? Okay. So for listening part A, you should imagine that you um, are in your hospital or clinic and you are listening in on a consultation mm-hmm. between a patient and a medical person. Yep. This medical person is usually um, a specialist of some right. sort. Okay. 
like an ear, nose and throat specialist or something like that? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So everyone's been in this situation before as a patient where you might see your GP yep. and you might explain a situation. Um, you've got a particular type of medical concern and the GP will say, oh, that's a bit, that sounds like you need to see a specialist. Mm -hmm. So they refer you to a specialist yep. and you're talking there. Now, these um, consultations, the patient is talking a lot more than the medical person. Also, the answers that you need to answer are always going to come from the, um, the patient. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So what you're doing in this part of the test is filling in gaps as you listen to the conversation, and you'll be filling in gaps where it's relevant to the patient or when the patient speaks, rather. It'll be a word or phrase from the patient. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. It's going to be a word or short phrase. So bits of information that the mm. patient says. So and do you take it directly, copy it, like the same word? Do you have to transform it or use a synonym or something like that? Um, you can't use the same word mm -hmm. and that's probably the best way to yeah. do it because yeah. there's no point in trying to change it. But if you remember the meaning and you can't remember the word, um, and you write down another word with the same meaning, that's fine as well. Okay, great. Mm. Good. Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward test, this one. It, it's a classic sort of English test where you're gap-filling as you listen. Yeah. Now, sometimes some people approach this test where they learn the, like a very structured type of consultation where the patient might describe their symptoms first and their history and then the doctor gives a diagnosis or something like that. Mm -hmm. This is not actually how listening part A works. Okay. So I wouldn't recommend um, studying trying to learn typical structure mm -hmm. because it will always be designed in a way where it's not following that traditional structure. Mm -hmm. It's going to be more the um, the it's going to be more the um, healthcare person, the specialist, trying to um, get particular bits of information from the patient. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. This one, I think for preparation, it's good to use good practice materials again, because it's not something that you can sort of find on the internet. It's not, you know, these aren't authentic texts where you can just do some reading, for example, um, or, or a lecture. Mm. So I, I do recommend real practice tests. I, I must say the E2 language ones that we have on the computer, they work beautifully. You're just listening and you're typing into the gaps and it gives you automatic feedback on your, did you get it right? Did you get it wrong? So that's, mm. that's cool. Um, just quickly, is spelling important here? Do they need to spell the word correctly? Uh, no, no. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so spelling mistakes are fine. Um, and sometimes there will be like medications and things like that, which are hard to spell. Yeah. As long as it sounds correct, it's yeah. fine. Okay, great. Let's talk about listening part B. From my understanding, listening part B is a bit of a mirror of reading part B, mm. where in reading part B, you had a short reading text and three uh, option multiple choice question. In listening part B, you've got almost the same thing, but it's an audio text. So you're listening, of course, and again, a three answer multiple choice question. I guess the difference is with this one, you might be listening to one person speak or two people speak. Mm. Correct. Yeah. 
And yes. and, and the, what are the types of audios you might hear? So there will be any types of short conversations you could hear um, in a healthcare setting. Mm-hmm. So some it could typical really be ones. anything, couldn't it? Yeah. Look, the, the, um, some typical ones could be a short extract from... Um, from a handover. Uh-huh. So right. you could have had um, a nurse or doctor on shift who's hand, um, a transfer of shift, giving information about the patient to the next person. Yep. Could be a snippet from a, co- a consultation. It could be to healthcare people talking about a patient. Yep. It could be a short extract from a bit of training. Sure. Some, like a short presentation someone's giving. Yep. Exactly like reading part B, what you need to do is think and imagine the type of context. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in that position. Just visualize actually being yeah. there. Yeah. And think in the workplace how you would listen. Mm. And that's how you listen for listening part B. Good one. Yeah, because there's that context sentence that says something like, you'll hear a doctor discussing blah, 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 blah. Mm. So that gives you the context. There's your, okay, imagine the scenario. And then it says, now read the question. And you have to read the question prompt. We'll just say, it will say, we could say anything. What does the doctor think about this? Mm. You know, X. And then you do the deep listening and then you quickly choose the answer option. That's the method that I like best, actually. One of the things that's so challenging in listening tests for any English exam is reading and listening at the same time, which mm. is kind of impossible Here's the analogy that I use. It's like you're lying on the couch reading the newspaper and you're reading something really interesting and somebody's going blah, 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 and you you can't read and listen at the same time. So it's like this cognitive impossibility. So you have to sort of listen, quickly read, listen, quickly read. So one of the things that I or we teach here at E2 Language with listening part B is to read that question prompt, understand what it is you're going to be listening for, You can almost close your eyes and just listen and keep that question prompt in mind. So you're going to really be listening for something. You hear the answer. You open your eyes once the audio is finished. You've only got a few seconds, but you quickly read the answer options and go, ah, it's B, got it. And then you move on. And one of the problems with multiple choice and listening is that reading, listening at the same time thing. It's it's hard. I I agree. So I I think sometimes um, the answer options... Mm -hmm aren't your friend yes. in this situation. Yes, they're so, distracting. Yeah, exactly. Because each of the answer options is going to, if you look at the question and the answer options without listening, all of them are going to look possible, right? But yes. And um, there can be different types of distraction. And if you're not careful, you might start listening in the wrong way. You might start trying to word match. Mm. And word matching is not what you want to do for listening part B. Yep. Um, word matching is what you do for listening part A. Right. Word, word right. matching, right. trying, trying to li- like read the, um, read the words on the paper and then you're kind of knowing what's going to come up next, yep. listening for it and matching and then mm. putting the answer in. Mm. That is a good listening skill, but that's listening part A. Good one. You are not trying, in a real-life situation, you're not trying to match words when listening to a staff handover. Yeah, that, that's you're, right. Yeah, so when you're... When you're trying you're, to get g- general, broader meaning, aren't you? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And this is actually true, we didn't mention it before, but for reading. So a common error that people make for reading or listening is for reading part A, it's about word matching, yeah. right? 
and some people try to word match for um, reading part B and C, mm -hmm. and you're not meant to read that way. Mm -hmm. It's the same for listening. You don't want to word match matching words to the answer options for um, listening part B or listening part C. Mm -hmm. So I actually recommend the same thing. Read the question, visualize it, listen, and then and then read the answer options and answer the question. It's I a agree. very good strategy. I agree. I think that's the best way to approach it. Uh, we have lots of methods lessons on E2 language, actually. One of the things we do, and I think we do well, and if you've seen our YouTube channel, which is very popular, is we think through, we actually do these tests ourselves, and we think through our own cognition of what we're doing, and we try different approaches to it. And we say, okay, let's cover the answer options. And, oh, that helps a lot, actually, because then I'm not distracted and I can focus on this. And we develop these methods, and, and, and these are incredibly helpful. On test day, we've had a lot of... Um, People write in, they, they, they write, Jay, I could hear your voice while I was doing the test as to what to do. And that's good. Mm. And they're usually pretty happy. Um, cool. All right. So again, listening part B, I think it's, it's you need to get some practice material, whether it be official stuff from OET or premium preparation provider stuff, which means that these schools, institutes have, well, they've, they've just tell us about PPP, actually, premium. You see this logo. What does that mean? Mm, okay. So we um, we check and um, and train uh, different schools to yeah. make sure that they teach people the right way and can also produce good quality materials. And so it's like a certification. It's yeah, a, it is. Yeah. It's a certification. And they get a premium preparation provider status. Yep. And you can see these logos on um, our website and on the school's website. Yeah. Um, this includes E2 yeah. um, that has this status. Um, so unfortunately, there are some people out there who um, they want to help people and I'm sure they're trying their best, but mm -hmm. maybe they don't have the necessary um, skills and abilities to teach. Yeah. Um, and you need to be a bit careful because they might give you some inaccurate advice. They might not give you proper listening or reading materials. They might tell you to write to a template or what have you. You need to keep away from these. It is incredibly hard to write a good question. Hmm. I, I think Cambridge go through this process. I know for another English language test that they, it takes them two years to write a question because it goes through so many different people and writers and editors before it actually becomes a live question. And I'm sure OET's the same. Um, we do a lot of item writer training here, um, which means that quest the questions we write goes through a similar process. It doesn't take two years. And actually one of the people who writes our questions now actually used to work for OET. So, you know, it's top quality stuff, which is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the longer I work in this sort of language testing uh, industry, the easier I can see badly written questions a mile away. I think, oh, that's terrible. That doesn't make sense. Or, mm. oh, that's way too hard. Or, yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing to get right. Uh, cool. All right. Nearly finished the test. Listening part C. <laughs> mm -hmm. What happens here? Okay. Listening part C, you're going to hear um, two different types of audio. Mm -hmm. One is you're going to hear a presentation. Yep. And the other one, you are going to hear a interview. Right. So it's a monologue and a dialogue. Yes, yep. that is correct. Now, with the um, with the dialogue, you're, it's going to be like an interviewer, someone asking the questions mm -hmm. and then the interviewee answering. The interviewee is going to talk a lot more. 
Right. And the answers are always going to come from the interviewee. Right. And actually the questions in almost every situation, the questions that the interviewer asks will ask six questions. Mm. You need to answer six questions. So the um, interviewers kind of asking the questions. Gotcha. So the transition from question one to question two, for example, will be when the interviewer says, okay, let me ask you this question. It won't be that clear, but got it. That's good. Because again, in listening multiple choice questions, another real difficulty is knowing where you're up to and Mm. thinking, oh no, am I in question two or three now? (gasps) I've missed it. And you get that, the the heart jumps into your throat and you think, oh no. Mm. So that's helpful in that. I agree in that those conversations, it's much easier to follow the structure. Mm. Actually, let's talk about in the in the monologues when there's a presentation, there is also signposting there where you sort of know which question you're up to, isn't there? Yes, there is. So um, OET don't want people to get lost mm-hmm. and not know when the next question's coming. Yeah. Because if that happens, then you're going to miss the question, not because of your listening ability. It's mm-hmm. going to be um, you know, just... It's unfair. So um, OET works hard in the monologues to make sure that there's very clear signposting. Mm. There's very particular types of language which are used. Mm. And maybe even the um, the person giving the presentation might have a pause or might even ask themselves a question. Mm. So the, the person might say, some people ask me why this, this, this. Mm. And then they say, so... It's something that I know is intimidating because mm. you're not sure when the next question starts and so forth. Spending some time to practice, and I'm sure yeah. you too have yeah. got some ways of um, learning signposting. Mm-hmm. I, I think it will help. Yep. I think one of the other um, issues with or difficulties, I should say, with um, listening part C is trying to avoid word matching mm-hmm. and trying to match words and phrases to the answer options, mm. that can be um, that can be a dangerous approach. Yeah, for just because the speaker says tennis and in the answer option is the word tennis doesn't mean that that's the answer. It may mm. be, mm. but it might not be. Yeah. yeah. So we have to listen to the meaning. That's right. Um, it might be a corny way of looking at it, but you need to listen, not hear. Mm. Maybe in um, listening no, like part that. A, you might just be trying to listen out for a particular word or phrase or something. But for listening part C, you need to actually listen, pay gotcha. attention. So if you think about, for example, your um, your say say for example, you're listening to a consultation at work, and um, someone said, "Oh, can you just write down on the medication?" you're probably just listening out for the medication to Mm -hmm. write it down. But Mm -hmm. then if you go to a presentation or, for example, this podcast, Mm -hmm. like you're trying to listen and take in the meaning of what's being said. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I guess, like a deeper type of listening Mm -hmm. and actually listen listen for the impact and the messages and the purpose which Mm. are being communicated. Mm. That's what you have to do for listening part C. Yeah, good one. Good. Okay, very good. So we've been through the whole test. We've uh, described each of the subtests and we've talked about the best way to prepare for each of them. Um, so let's finish up by just, do you have any sort of general messages for people who are thinking of taking the OET or perhaps have taken it before? Mm. Well, um, as I said towards the beginning, um, I don't think you should see OET as a test of how much English you have. And you don't want to... You don't want to really listen to people. If if people are saying to use templates or if they're saying make sure you use this type of language to increase your score and things like that, it's 
Not really true. Like you need to think of language as communication mm-hmm. and you need to think of the situation or the context you're in mm-hmm. and how you would use English in that situation or context. Yeah. If you look at that as you're preparing for the test and on test day, um, that's the best advice I can give. Yeah. Writing with a purpose and speaking with a purpose. Yeah, I, I agree. Look, I hate to say this, but maybe don't listen to your friends. <laughs> friends are great. They could give advice in, in different ways. But this this test is, you know, to, to the materials, the items, the, the methodologies. I really, really do recommend listening to experts who have really thought through this, not someone who's taken it and, you know, gotten a good score and said, oh, you've got to do this, this and this. Don't do that, really. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. It's it's really not the right approach. Yeah. And if we just take a step back here for the, for a minute, so um, my my job is people pass. So more people who pass the test, the happier my boss is. Yeah. Right. So I'm not here as a teacher. And if um, if talking to your friends was the best way to pass the test, that's what I tell you. I'd yeah, say yeah. I. I I'd, I don't think you would have invited me here, but I, I would if if it was true, I would have said, look, don't don't go to E two, don't go to teachers, just ask your mates, and they'll tell you. Yeah, it's not the right way. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, um, what I it's what I call peer to peer learning when you're learning from um, WhatsApp groups. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I guess look, if you look at this, so if I've got a health problem, right? Mm. Say I'm sick. Mm-hmm. Should I go to a doctor or should I go to Dr. Google? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think something you need to think about here is, so those of you who are listening now, you've got medical expertise and I'm sure you interact with people without medical expertise, for example, patients, and they can be very misinformed sometimes and their intentions can be very well-meaning, mm. um, but they may get some bad advice from their friends and things like that. Maybe consider that the situation that you're in with taking the test, maybe the teachers are the people with the expertise, Mm -hmm. just like medical people have medical expertise Mm. and actually going to the people with expertise to Mm -hmm. try and diagnose and treat your test woes is the best way to go. Yeah, it's a perfect analogy, isn't it? Go and see the doctor at E2 Language. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, and, and just on preparation, I just want to say something about E2 language, which I think we do extremely well, is uh, we deliver live classes every day, twice a day. Um, so if you're in the UK or if you're in Australia or the Philippines or wherever, the time zone will probably be convenient for you. And in these live classes, one, they're very motivational because there's you know 50 other people in there as well. And there's a live teacher taking you through practice questions, teaching you the methods that we talked about before. I think this is a great way to to learn, honestly. Mm. It's hard to self-study and people end up cramming for these exams either a week before or a few days before. We see our YouTube views go up through the roof three Mm. days before the test. Don't do that. Mm. It's a relatively expensive test. It only happens once or twice a month. Prepare properly do it the first time around, yeah? Mm. Save yourself, really, by investing in a bit of good quality preparation, you'll save yourself time and money. Mm. I, I really think so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And if you think about 
taking a test and studying for a test, studying for a test in particular, is, you know, a hurdle that you need to clear and it's like other things in your life. Reflect on how you best studied for those other things. Like, so... Mm -hmm. A stereotype would be that nurses are very communicative people. Mm -hmm. Looking at nurses, for example, and you like interacting with people and you get good energy from people and trying to help people. I think nurses, it's a great job. Yeah. Doctors, doctors as well. Um, healthcare in general, like you want to help people, right? Perhaps the best way that you learn in your day-to-day -day life and everything is through interaction. Mm. So if that's the way that you prefer to learn, then why are you studying for the test at home, cramming videos mm. and doing practice tests? Yeah. Maybe that's not the best way for you to learn. Um, and particularly a test for uh, like OET, which is testing English as a tool of communication, mm. not just memorizing phrases and so forth. Maybe take a step back, think of the kind of person you are, the way that you study best and study in that way. Mm -hmm. mm. This, this, I'm sorry, I'm going to do one more plug. Um, I just remembered our mini mock test with feedback, mm. which I think is if you've never taken the OET test before and you really don't know how you're going to go, uh, this is a really good place to start because uh, you'll take a shortened version of the OET that is high, high quality, good quality questions, and you'll do a speaking one-on-one, -on -one, just a single role play, and you'll submit your writing through all in sort of one sitting. It'll take you about over two hours, but it's also good practice. Uh, but what's good about this is the feedback that you get. So it'll give you feedback on each of your subtests. It'll tell you how you went in reading part A and reading part C. Uh, and then for writing and speaking, it'll actually give you uh, an indicative sort of score based on the criteria. It'll tell you how you're going against each of those criteria. So really, if you want to start your preparation, that's that's a fabulous way to start, I think. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. Um, I've seen the mini mock and I mm -hmm. think it's I think it's a great product yep. and definitely something I'd recommend. I would say that um, the preparation portal mm -hmm. on the OET website yep. is a great place to look as well. I would say that the masterclasses that we have, they are a good starting point for you because they don't just tell you what the test is, but they tell you how to study. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the things I've said today, um, it's pretty similar in some regards, um, focusing on language skills, not just um, doing practice tests. Mm. They're a really good resource, so I would recommend the masterclasses. Yep. I should also point out that our um, our Facebook and our Instagrams yes. um, are also really good um, resources to use as well. Our um, Facebook is OET official and our Instagram is official OET. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. That's good. Mm. Cool. Well, thanks very much for coming down. I appreciate it, Dave, and I'm sure everyone has gotten a lot of valuable information. And if they are thinking about the, taking the OET and they are a health professional, I highly recommend it. Mm. It's a great test. Great. Thank you. And um, thank you for inviting me. And um, just want to say that I think E2 is doing a lot of great things in um, language education through mm. E2 school and also um, OET preparation. So cool. well done. Thank you. Thanks for listening to E2 Talks. Remember to check out e2language.com for OET courses and e2school.com for general English language learning. Thanks.